Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 207 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on what will be the last week in April. I know it seems like it's been about 400 years since we last joined you, but it was really about a week. So uh, without further ado, I am your host this week. I am Donald. I am here in my home in Washington, D.C. I also have a recently finished with classes, Sam Klein down in Durham. Is that right, Sam? That is right. Finished with classes. One exam left in business school. Although technically, even if I fail that exam on Monday, I will still be receiving an MBA. Not that I intend to do so, mom, but that I... Yeah, don't fail. I, it's not, it's I'm not just, smart. I'm not, I'm not trying to fail. I am studying. I have, I'm studying tonight with a friend. We are also going to watch the next two episodes of The Last Dance. So uh, all kinds of all kinds of good stuff coming my way. But then, yeah, after that, no more no more business school activities. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, good luck on the final Thank exam you. after the last dance. I don't know how that works, but both very very important. <laughs> uh, and also in Atlanta, <laughs> we're recording on Sunday morning. The episodes three and four of the last dance come out tonight. And yeah. my final exam is tomorrow afternoon. So whenever you're listening to this, if it's not yet Monday afternoon, uh, send me some good juju for for passing this exam, this one final exam, which will actually be very hard. There you go. There you go. So, all right. All right. And now in Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. Jason, good morning to you. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, speaking of the last dance. So I felt like episode two kind of focused a bit on Scotty Pippen. Yes. I'm wondering if episode three is going to be all about Dennis Rodman. I am oh, no, all no, in. No, wait, 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 wait. You don't know this? They already know. You already know that it's what, that's what I, they I were shaped for. Okay, great. Yeah, I that's what they're shaped for. I'm not, seeing, I'm not seeing any of the like preview stuff. I just go in. Well, yeah. they, I mean, yeah. Scotty Pippen, episode two is a Scotty Pippen episode. Episode three is the Dennis Rodman episode, but it focuses on the greatest franchise, the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons. So, if you're a Detroit Pistons fan, I guarantee you, lock in. Episode three is going to be the one you want to watch because that's the generally one. Speaking, the- generally speaking, if you're a if you're a Pistons homer, you don't want to tune in for the entire series. Yeah. But uh, you know what? Here. Right. Here's the thing: we beat Detroit them three times. They only beat us once. You're going to see beat us Detroit three lose. <laughs> no, no, no. We only we only lost to them one time. After that, we just never were in the playoffs where we faced them. So we're fine. <laughs> you can't you can't beat you can't lose to them if you don't play them. You, I, you just do overlap at that. At, I, I I like to joke right. about this with friends of uh, who root for other college basketball programs about who actually hates who, right? Like Duke fans hate UConn, but mm-hmm. UConn always hates Duke in the tournament. So like UConn's probably like UConn fans are probably like whatever Duke don't care. No, they uh, hate us. Don't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> not, not in the way. Not in the way perhaps that Kentucky fans hate Duke. Right. Right. Exactly. No. Yes. Correct. I, All I, right. I you know what? We're gonna say, wait. I merely brought this up. I wanted to say because I was going to say, if it truly is a Dennis Rodman episode, I am all in on that. Oh my god! Oh, one great. of the most one of the most fascinating characters in the history of basketball. So and, I'm and really honestly, uh, just that I mean, this is a little segment in itself. But the Last Dance is kind of the sporting event that we all get because there's no sports on TV. Like, I mean, no, it was the biggest watched documentary on in sports history. Uh, over 6 million people watched the first two episodes. Uh, I feel like more, more are going to tune in 
tonight and really just the fact that they're doing this over the next five weeks is almost torture we're like look there's nothing else on tv just give us the documentary just give us the whole and all thing we, all we know how to <laughs> do is the dvd binge. commentary <laughs> at this point all we know how to do is binge like the idea that you would wait for an episode what the hell's going on with this what are we waiting for yeah we're still gonna <laughs> be right no, here on the couch there are, no, there are no water coolers to talk around this week about what we saw on the show like right, I, exactly I, i've had phone calls with friends just to be like Hey, do you want to talk about the last dance? Because I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't otherwise get to talk about it with anybody. So I've had right. like three or four phone calls just to talk about the documentary. And by the way, you mentioned Donald that it's like the most it's the most watched sports documentary or something, mm-hmm. and it's like a total propaganda piece, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not even. It's not even all. It's totally biased. Oh, let's yeah. be clear. Let's be clear. We don't like Michael Jordan. <laughs> It's produced by Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan had absolute control over the content. It is not an objective view of those Bulls teams. Not at all. I am not. I am not a Michael Jordan fan. Not even a little bit. I was not. I was not conscious at the height of his powers. Like I, I became a basketball fan like in the late '90s. So like I saw Jordan, but not the whole progression. I'm a Washington Wizards fan, notionally. Wizards Jordan. Yeah, I've got no. I have no documentary for Michael. So. And even I'm enjoying it. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's interesting. So, Last Dance, if you have not tuned in uh, on the Chicago Bulls, the Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls, definitely tune in. 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Sundays for the next four weeks. Uh, You will have two episodes each week. So, If you can't keep track of when Sunday is, the episodes end up going online as long as you have access to ESPN. Exactly. Uh, And also, they're on ESPN if you like cursing. And ESPN two, if you don't, so there's something for everybody. But anyway, let's get into why we all, you know, got on today. Because really, there's not a lot of Duke news, but there's a little bit of national news that has gone on in the last few days that we want to discuss. Starting in the ACC with the announcement a few days ago or a couple days ago that Wake Forest let go of Danny Manning after six seasons in charge of the Demon Deacons. He did not have a good stretch as the Wake head coach. He went 78 and 111 in his time in Winston-Salem. Jason, I'll start with you. Uh, what does this mean really for uh, – we'll start two ways. What does this mean about Wake? What are they going to do? And what does this mean for the ACC in general? I don't want to be too mean to Danny Manning, who by all accounts is a really nice guy and was a great, great basketball player. Uh, and, and and did a pretty good job at other stops along his career, but he was he was not a good coach uh, for the ACC at, at Wake Forest. Whenever there's a chance for an ACC team to get a new coach, I always want them to do as well as they can. I want the conference to be good. Uh, look, we last year sucked. Last year, this year, whatever you want to call it, the season that was aborted was a big problem for the ACC because there just wasn't much quality in the conference. And I want the conference to be good, even if it means that Duke's basketball games are more difficult. And yes, I'm very aware that Wake Forest upset Duke in double double overtime. Yeah, it was double overtime this year. Uh, but in general, Danny Manning did not have Wake Forest playing at a national level. And Wake Forest is a program with some decent tradition that deserves to play at a national level. So, uh, so I like you, Danny Manning, but I'm glad to see you go because other than capturing one season with John Collins... Uh, who lifted you guys to the NCAA tournament, where you, by the way, didn't do very much of note. This was a this you were a bottom of the ACC team with no sign of it getting better. So I'm looking to the future, and 
I've been looking at a lot of the names that have been tossed out. And to me, there are really two or three names that could be the new Wake Forest coach that I think are the most compelling. Uh, there, there's been talk that they may reach out to John Beeline, who, uh, you know, unbelievable success at Michigan and elsewhere in college. He is an absolute, he would be a fantasy for Wake Forest. I don't think Wake can afford him. Beeline was making really good money at Michigan. He was making even better money when he was coaching the Cavs in the NBA. I don't For think he's going to take. Games. Yeah, but but still, I don't think yeah. he's going to take. You know, he was making like four million plus for the Cavs. Uh, he's not going to take one point three, one point five million, and I don't know that Wake can afford to pay much more than that. I'm not even sure they can pay that much. So I think Beeline's a fantasy. But this is the first big job to open up since Beeline left the Cavs, and so I guess it's possible. the The other guys that I think are really interesting. And I think the guy who's going to get the job is Wes Miller, the coach of UNC Greensboro. He's a UNC alumnus. What a lot of people don't know about Wes Miller, they just associate with him, him with his time at UNC and Chapel Hill. The reality is that his family is incredibly tied to Wake Forest. His father, Kenneth Miller, is a former trustee of the Wake, Wake Board of Trustees. And there is, if you go on the Wake Forest campus, like the library is named after the Miller family, the basketball practice facility, basketball, the basketball practice facility is named for Kenneth Miller, Wes Miller's father. Incredible ties to Wake Forest in this family. And, and Wes Miller's done a great job at UNCG. I actually think, you know, when Roy Williams steps aside, I, I feel like Wes Miller could have been one of the guys who'd be a candidate for the Carolina job. That's how well he's done at UNCG. Wes Miller, Miller, Jason, is, yeah. is sort of like, the UNC version of of what we wanted, what Duke fans have kind of wanted Chris Collins and Steve Wojciechowski to end up being, where they go off and, and sort of run their own programs. I think the difference, the reason that that he's such a good candidate here is that he's been coaching. He knows North Carolina. He's been coaching in North oh, Carolina. Yeah. Um, lots of family ties here, so it should be easy for him to plug into the to the recruiting network. Duke doesn't really have the same kind of natural recruiting base that that maybe Wake Forest does being a little more concentrated in North Carolina and the Southeast. I think Wes Miller would be a great pick for them. And yeah, if he goes to Wake Forest, I don't know how that would affect his potential to end up going to UNC. UNC might decide to promote an assistant again, the way they've done in the past. And, and Wes Miller's sort of been out of Chapel Hill for, for long enough that I'm not sure that he's a UNC guy anymore, but right, I, I right. think that would be a, I think that would be a really good, good pick for Wake Forest. Wes Miller's also still relatively young. Um, so he could be there a long time. When you talked about Beeline, what's interesting is that this is, I think the speculation is that Beeline is young enough to still go back and coach again if he wants to, but old enough that he's probably got one job left in him. Um, he made it all the way to, to the NBA and, and, and just climbed you know, through his entire career. I think we've talked about that before, but if he comes to Wake Forest, it's probably a three or four year rebuilding job. He installs some kind of system and then they get one of his assistants to take over who knows his system. That would be Wake Forest to committing to, to that kind of path. Uh, and, and Wes Miller would be a, a, a total clean break from Wake trying to reignite, I think, since the Skip Prosser era. They, only, they, only it feels like they've been kind of stalled in that in that mode, they've had a couple of years where they've been good, but it's not a sustained kind of success. Only thing I'd say about Beeline is he's a guy who has managed to have success without really, you know, super talented players. He doesn't need, I don't think he'll need three or four years of recruiting 
um, to install his system. His system seems to work so well that I think Beeline's one guy who could come in and, and elevate them almost immediately. Donald, what do you think well, about John also- Beeline? <laughs> I, I honestly, that was the first name when I saw that. I was like, that's perfect because forget Beeline. I think Beeline in himself like is a great candidate, has great has a great resume and would be great for Wake Forest. I think when you look at the ACC, it's an arms race when it comes to coaches, especially in basketball. And when you look around, you know, Wake is going to Wake's donors are going to be like, look, Duke has one of the, has the greatest coach of all time. UNC has one of the greatest coaches out there. NC State even has a good coach. You know, all these teams Chris around Mack. AC, Chris Virginia, Mack. Chris Mack, like all these guys, when 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 re- coaches are getting replaced, they're not getting replaced by assistants or someone at the mid-level. They're getting replaced by top dogs. And Virginia, or, I'm sorry, Wake Forest is going to want to go after somebody with the likes of, you know, that has the credentials of John Beeline. Oh, okay, all right. So I got a name for you. And you're going to go, what? But... Hear me out. The current Wake has a new athletic director. He just came into the job like uh, six, eight, nine months ago, something like that. The new Wake Forest AD had been the athletic director and assistant athletic director for many years at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. What about Rick Barnes? Rick is 65, but he certainly knows the ACC because he was at Clemson for many years. That's where he sort of grew to national fame before he did his thing at Texas and now at Tennessee. Uh, he had he had several really good years at Tennessee this past year, not as good. They, you know, they they struggled. They're sort of right around 500. Um not that it was disastrous, not that Tennessee's looking to to run Rick Barnes out of town, anything close to that. And he may he's I think he's probably very happy in Tennessee. He could coach there until he retires and be done forever at 65. I don't know how many years he has left. Maybe 7, maybe a little more than that, but the Wake AD certainly knows Rick Barnes, and we're at a time where it's tough to interview guys. It's tough to you know see them face-to-face and get to know them. If he's looking for a guy that he's already comfortable with, I just don't know that Wake has the money for Rick Barnes, but that's my sort of, here's a name that you haven't heard a lot of talk about that could be out there. Jason, that's the problem I think that- with, with this search, is that Wake Forest, maybe in a normal year, relationships and and what you described as like a possibility for Rick Barnes might work. I think the combination of the challenge of 2020 and the fact that Rick Barnes is already somewhere that he is pretty comfortable and has been successful to a point says that it's probably not going to be possible. I think there are too many, there are too many barriers to overcome the positive relationship aspect of, of Rick Barnes potentially leaving. It also brings me back to something you guys just mentioned about how many good coaches there are in the ACC. This is the downside for programs like Wake Forest to having the ACC expand so much. Because anytime the ACC brings in a program like Louisville, like Syracuse, that's another tough basketball team that Wake Forest has to compete with. Other coaches are looking at that and maybe in the old ACC would say, all right, there are three or four coaches who I know are better than I am, like they're top national coaches. Now the ACC has seven or eight or nine of those guys. Because you guys didn't even, you didn't mention Jim Beheim, who has been on a slide the last couple of years, but is still Jim Beheim. You didn't mention Leonard Hamilton, who's been one of the most successful coaches in the country. He hasn't made a Final Four, but that's not for lack of and talent. And won the ACC or, this year. Right, they won yeah, the right. ACC this year. You and didn't mention only four years Diego, old. Right? All of these guys are all really good, and it's not clear, like, yeah, all, any of them could be retiring soon. Beheim, Laren Yeager, Coach K, all those guys. But they also could all be here for another five, six years and could outlast the next Wake Forest coach. 
I, if I'm a coaching candidate, I'm only taking that job if I know that I can do it for a couple of years and maybe go somewhere else where the, where the path to conference championships is a little easier. I mean, on the, on the thing of Rick Barnes, I don't necessarily think that him going to Wake Forest is out of the realm of possibility. I just think it's unlikely, not necessarily because of not just the pay, the pay reduction. I think really it's because of the facilities. I think Tennessee has enough money that if if he wants to build an entire building, he can have it done tomorrow because they have enough donors to do it. I don't think Wake Forest has the money stretch to not only hire him, which would be an elevation in what they're expect what they use are used to paying coaches, but also an increase in facilities. I just don't think they have that in them. Uh, you could do one or the other, but probably not both. Yeah, and, and they just paid a big buyout to Danny Manning. One of the reasons Danny Manning right. is hung on is because they they gave him a crazy contract that, that was probably out of Wake's normal budget. Um, mm-hmm. I, so my last thought on all this, uh, Sam, something you said really struck home with me. You were talking about, you know, in 2020, in these difficult times we are in, uh, you know, it, it's harder to to get guys to move and stuff like that. I, I And it made me think about the notion of, like, physically moving your family. And how difficult that would be right now, uh, you know, having people come into your house, that, you know, and you feel like your house is sort of this protected zone. You'd have to have movers come in and go to a new house and look around for a house with a real, like all these things are sort of terrifying in this, you know, little moment that we're in right now. But this moment is where Wake is hiring a coach. This is why Wes Miller is so perfect. Greensboro is a half hour from Winston-Salem. He, the place where he's coaching right now is basically almost the same neighborhood as as wake forest if you hire you west miller move exactly i was just gonna say if you hire west miller he probably doesn't move he he leaves his family where they are at the moment and he just heck I, I don't even know that he goes to the wake forest campus that much no one's you know no one's going out to out and about that much but um that's that's all the uh it's sort of another reason that it occurs to me that west miller is the perfect perfect fit here he's already there so I, I I think he's going to get the job, and and the price is probably right. I they can probably pay him maybe a million a year. Yeah, I, I think we can. Uh, we'll wait and see what is going on uh, at Wake Forest, and really in these times, who they bring, who they quote unquote bring in to interview. Uh, let's move on. Related to this, it kind of expands to a, a fun discussion that we are having. We're going to be quick about this, but we were talking about Wake Forest's. Uh, dismissal of Danny Manning and Jeff Borzello, who writes for ESPN was discussing this. And he said of the program quote, wakes program is that it shares a state with Duke UNC and NC state. Two of those programs are among the four best programs in college basketball. So while he guys, while he never said which program he was referring to, we obviously know who he's referring to, but it is, it sparked a topic of discussion. So we're going to quickly answer this question. Who are the top 10 college basketball programs in America, in your opinion? Now, for those of you out there, there are a lot of factors that can go into one of these answers. So before the show, we settled on the metric of success within the last 20 years, uh, by which we could pick our 10 programs. So Jason, I go to you, one to 10, give me your top 10. So so I'll start by saying, when Borzello, I was the guy who brought this up as a topic, and when Borzello said top four teams, I went, whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. How, do we all know who the top four teams are? And then I stopped and I thought for a minute, and I went, yeah, we all know who the top four teams are. So my, my top 10 in order is Duke, number one, 
and I don't think we need to discuss it that much, but the, the fact the fact that we dominated in recruiting, we've won a bunch of titles, we have the best coach in the land, and Zion matters. The fact that Duke has huge NBA stars who will be there for decades, the fact that we're on television more than any other team makes us clearly, to me, the number one team in the country. Kentucky, I think, is number two. They dominate the SEC. Their recruiting is unbelievable. They have tons of NBA stars, incredible passion of their fans. I think Kansas is the number three program right now. It's real close between Kansas and UNC. But, I mean, what Kansas does in the Big 12 is just crazy, and they are unbelievably consistent. Carolina, who's sort of been the least consistent of those four programs over the past 20 years, um, nonetheless is is clearly in that top four. Um, And the fact that they're half of the greatest rivalry in the sport um, is a big deal. Their, Their lack of NBA success, I think, hurts them a little bit which is why I have them at number four. After that, it becomes really difficult. I went Michigan State, number five. I went Louisville, number six. That may be a little bit controversial. I've got Villanova, number seven. And a lot of that may be recency bias. I mean, if you go back 20 years, Villanova, not so much, but they've done so well lately. Um, UCLA is actually my number eight. and, And what I considered was, I mean, they did make three straight final fours in the late, uh, you know, 2006 to 2008, uh, they've got some great NBA stars right now with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love, Lonzo Ball. I think NBA, you know, translating talent to the NBA matters. I put Syracuse as my number nine team. Um, I found an amazing fact about Syracuse. Did you know, I know we're only looking at the past couple decades, but just in terms of Syracuse has made the Sweet 16 at least four times in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s. I'm sorry, if you make the Sweet 16 four times in a decade, that means you're a really significant team. Um, and, and it's amazing to me that they have done that for that long. Um, they make more surprising NCAA runs than anybody. I think it hurts them a little bit that they join the ACC, um, and they don't dominate the ACC nearly the way they did other conferences. They have not been super successful in the ACC. So they were my number nine. And then I, I had trouble. Number 10 was either Arizona, Gonzaga, or Virginia. I, I really waffled on this. I, I, <laughs> I ended up going with Arizona um, just because they have such a good pipeline of pros. You can tell that I, I believe that talent, NBA talent, really matters. Um, and so I picked Arizona as my number 10. But if you want to tell me it's Gonzaga or Virginia, I've got no problem with either one of those. Um, uh, I, 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 Virginia, I really marked down because they didn't make a single Sweet 16 from 1995 to 2014. That's a long time to not really be there the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So that's why I marked them down. So that's my top 10. Yeah, Jason, you know what's funny? You didn't mention Connecticut at all. And Connecticut's got like four championships, in, I think, in that yeah. time. Um, yeah. And, and they're just too, to me, they're too inconsistent. See, they're, they, to me. They're too up and down. I looked at programs. Having, having, having Syracuse on that list and not having Connecticut, I think is a mistake because, because Syracuse is one championship. They've made a couple final fours, but as you mentioned, they're kind of fluky. UConn's got one fluky national championship and I think three good ones. Uh, so I, I, I don't know where I put, um, although you can't, you know, although, although when we're discussing this, Syracuse. when we're discussing this, you couldn't, you couldn't. You can only you, uh, use three of those championships because the fourth one occurred oh, right. outside of the twenty. Sure. Okay. So they've right. got they've got two champions from from really good teams. Uh, the the two thousand fourteen and then and then also unfortunately two thousand four. 
uh, or sorry, 2014 was the was the silly one, but 2011 they were really good. So uh, I I don't know how you make those calls. The only other teams I wanted to add uh, into the mix for you, you mentioned Michigan State. I think Michigan is also a program. They've been to a they've been to a couple Final Fours, and then also Donald's going to hate this, but Michigan's rival Ohio State has has also had some good tournament success and has produced a few really good pros. I was kind of looking at. Um, I was looking at all America selections and I was also looking at the AP poll because I think that tells you the most about like over the course of the season, who's had, who's had big impact and found a lot of the same teams. Jason mentioned Duke, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, right at the top. Um, I don't think Jason gave enough credit to, um, to Gonzaga for being consistently great, but perhaps that's a, you know, they've only been, they've only managed to one to crack final four, one final, final four. four. Come on. Yeah. I think if you put the lens in, like more recently than 20 years, then Gonzaga is a lot more relevant. Um, UNC, of course. The other thing, the other thing about Gonzaga is I don't feel like they, they just don't, they're, they're not a recruiting power by any stretch of the imagination. They don't get the top talent. And I think a lot of their success is predicated on them being in a conference where they can be successful. If you put, if you put Gonzaga in one of the power five conferences, forget about it. Not that they're not good, but they're just not, they're not nearly as impressive as they would otherwise be, but but go on, right. Sam. Do you want me to? Do you want me to? Do you want me to counter that with 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 sure with some numbers? So I, I've got these from the last ten years, not from the last twenty. Last ten years, they won the most games. Four. I'm sure. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. No, no, no. I didn't. I look at games. I want to. I want to compare Gonzaga and Kansas. Gonzaga one Final Four, six AP top ten finishes, four consensus All Americans. Kansas one Final Four, seven AP top ten finishes, and ten All Americans. I think the difference between Kansas and Gonzaga is that Kansas happens to play in the Big 12. And that Gonzaga which they happens- dominate, which they win every single year. It's crazy yeah. how good they then, That's a good conference to win. Season, and then Kansas gets to the postseason, and they lose early in the tournament. They've made one Final Four in the last 10 years. One, that's it. And, and the, Big 12, the Big 12 doesn't have a lot of other teams that are, you know, they'll have Texas Tech went to the, Final Four last year. Oklahoma was good a few years ago when they had Blake Griffin and and some of those other guys. Consistently, none of the teams in the Big 12 are good, except for Kansas. And Gonzaga does basically the same thing and doesn't, I, I think, gets less recognition because they're not in a power conference. They play on the West Coast or they play in Pacific time. They're not technically on the West Coast. I won't, I won't uh, paint with a broad brush. I think the only difference between Kansas and Gonzaga is that one plays in a famous conference and one does not. Um, so, so I think Gonzaga so, actually deserves to be a lot higher on your list if you're if you're thinking more recently than that. Wait, Sam, Sam did you do them in order? Can you do one through ten? Uh, so the I I sort of had them more in like in like chunks of groups. Um, That's fine. But I think I think that uh, I've got uh, Kentucky, Duke, Villanova, Kansas, UNC, and Gonzaga all in like a in a. I, sorry, Duke and Kentucky in the first group. I think they've actually separated themselves more. UNC, Villanova, Kansas, Gonzaga, kind of in the next group down. Um, Villanova, because of the recent success, and they've had a couple guys go to the pros and do well, uh, they they consistently actually finish really, really high. Um, UVA is behind them, um, kind of in that in that same high boat. And then and then I sort of I didn't I didn't quite finish making the the full list, but that group of Michigan State, Michigan, UConn, um, Louisville, depending on how you feel about vacated titles and, and whatnot. Cause if you'd say that Louisville didn't win those champ, didn't win that championship, it didn't make those final fours and that those seasons didn't happen for them. 
Louisville's success is really knocked out. It removes all of their All-Americans from the last 10 years. It it really kind of changes that. So Louisville, including the vacated seasons, top 10 program to me. Louisville without the vacated seasons, like probably not in the top 20. So when I did mine, uh, I, I I basically put together 10. And right before the show started, I, you know, hastily put together a like an order uh but here is my order i'm gonna go through the order and then i'm gonna explain some of the ones that i have okay one duke two kentucky three unc four la villanova five kansas six michigan state seven yukon eight virginia nine florida and ten michigan now mine when i hear we have not heard florida yet when I it, hear success, it's important to have the last twenty years and not the last ten for Florida. <laughs> well, no, not so. Here's why. Here's why. Well, the last ten, yeah. But this is what I went off of. When you hear success, the first thing you look at are banners, banners in this in the in the rafters, national championships, final fours, sweet sixteens, conference championships. And so when you look at someone, you can't discount. Like I, I don't like the program, but you can't discount UConn and the fact they have banners. Hanging. They have three national championships in the last 20 years. More than any team, you know, more than any team except for us, we also have three. You also have teams like Florida, who not only won two in three years, they went to the final four often. They went to the final four as late as 2000 against, you know, Michigan State. They lost in that title game to Michigan State. Michigan State, you know, they have, they've only won one, uh, one uh, national championship, but they've been consistently in the final four elite eight all the time and, although, and so you look at someone michigan like that state, uh, michigan state consistently final four like off and on in the 2000s mm-hmm. in the 2010s two final fours two final four you know what like we, we say that like that's a bad thing like right, right. Well, you know I'm saying, like, like <laughs> I, I also don't have syracuse in my top 10 and syracuse made two final fours i i, I think that the, right. the the bar is actually like is weirdly low i think here um, and Michigan State like barely clears it. Mm-hmm. Well, well yeah, for me, thing- I think it's because of their consistency and the fact that they, if you think about it, they were in they were in the Final Four in 2000, and they were in the Final Four in 2019. Like that is and with the same the, and the, with the, the same, success. Same coach and and kind with of the, the same, same coach throughout that exactly. Um, there's the one that I think that is probably contentious is Michigan, and the reason why I have Michigan in there is because it just slightly over UCLA. It's because you're a from little bit recency. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I took that <laughs> out of it. I just looked straight at the numbers. And when you look at the numbers, Michigan has been in more title games. They've been in you what know, one less Final Four, but they've been in more Elite Eights and more Sweet Sixteens. So when I look at this, and also just really when you look at it, the teams that they got, they were very consistent in the Big Ten, which throughout all of this has been one of the better conferences in college basketball, whereas the Pac-12, Pac-10, or whatever – has been up and down, up and down over the years. When UCLA went to the Final Four in 2006, 2007, 2008, they did that on the strength of basically like two guys, Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. But after that, they kind of fell off the bottom of the cliff. Donald, you're not giving enough credit credit to Aaron Aflalo. Oh, excuse me. Former (laughs) Piston, Aaron Aflalo, uh, who left us in free agency. So I kind of of (laughs) need some words with him. But anyway, I, I feel like when you're looking at some of this, you can't just and it, this brings me back to my original point when we were discussing before the show is that you can't just bring success into these things because when you just look at numbers, there's a clear, you know, nine, eight or nine or ten. 
But when you look at other things, like we didn't, we discussed recruiting, we discussed coaching, we discussed how they do consistency. And those are some of the many factors that you could take when you're forming a top 10 of the best programs out there. For me, I would have thrown coaching jobs in there because when John Beeline left Michigan, Michigan was a top five coaching job. Everyone was saying that they were one of the top five to 10 coaching jobs in the country because of the facilities, because of the university, and because of the fact they are in Michigan, which is a hotbed for basketball talent. All of those things to say that there are so many factors that you could take into it. And even with some, just taking one of those factors, ours were mostly the same, but we had some key differences in our lists. I think that, hang on, really quick about Michigan. Um, you know, they were basically, they were basically absent from the national scene for the first, you you said we're doing the past 20 years for the, Mm -hmm. for the first decade of those 20 years, they were pretty much like not like a huge, not Michigan did not make the NCAA tournament from 1995 to 2009. They didn't even make the NCAA tournament. I, I, I get that they were on probation. I get that. Half of that was probation. Poor Tom, poor Tommy Amaker got thrown to the wolves. I, I understand mm-hmm. what happened, but still Michigan was an absolute non-factor for, for the first half of, of this discussion. And in fact, they didn't make a sweet 16 until 2013. Mm-hmm. So for the, first the two, for the first two thirds, yes, I know. But for the first two thirds of our discussion, they're not even in the sweet 16. And you tell me they're one of the 10 programs. That's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think that, I, I think that I'm the skeptical about best coaching jobs is, is somewhat different. And that Michigan is definitely near the top for that. And we, we underrate, I think the differences between the power conferences when it comes to the quality of coaching jobs nowadays, because there is a difference between what big 10 coaches can make and what, you know, Big Ten being right at the top, they make the most TV money. Um, the, the converse, like, there's a reason that Maryland left the ACC, where it had traditions and rivalries and all that stuff, to go play in the Big Ten, where they travel to far-flung destinations all the time. It's because they can pay their coaches more money. And and the SEC is right behind there. The ACC isn't able to pay top coaches the same that the Big Ten programs can. So when all these, you know, when this like next series of, of old coaches retire, when Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, whoever, these guys retire, you'll hear more about the fact that that Big Ten and SEC coaches and, and John Calipari in that same group, you'll hear more about how the Big Ten is able to pay more and, and the SEC is able to pay more than the ACC can. That's, well, I think, part of the factor that comes back to comes back to Danny Manning. I don't think Wake Forest can pay what Tennessee can pay. For, for Danny Manning. We also of- have a lot of we also have a lot of private schools compared to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is right. a yeah. bunch of public schools that have a lot of a lot of fan base that's close by, alumni base that's close by, that have a lot of money that contribute. And they literally like think about you know Penn State for example. If you live in State College, you ain't got a you ain't got a football team, you ain't got a basketball team. You have Penn State, and so they put all their money into that. And I think where it comes to here, you know, you have Duke, where from everywhere. Miami is a private school. But even though most of those people are from Florida, they're not from Miami. So they don't have connect. Like when they graduate, they go elsewhere. We have a lot of programs, a lot of schools where the fan bases are more spread out. 
So the concentration of the money is not on the program. And so it's harder for us to donate and, and get raise funds the way that a Michigan can who could just turn to someone right next to him and say, give me $50 million. Uh, well, I also think in terms of paying the coaches, uh, it depends on the programming. Look, Wake Forest, yes, we all agree. Wake Forest probably cannot afford Rick Barnes, probably can't afford John Beeline. Um, but when the UNC job comes open, Carolina is going to be able to afford whoever they want to want to pay. The question um, is, who are they going to pry from somewhere else? Uh, that's going to be, or or if they just promote somebody within. That's that's going to. I mean, like we talk about how fun or interesting the Duke coaching search is going to be whenever Coach K retires. I think the UNC one is going to be just as fascinating, if not more so. Well, remember I mean, that's when, why Hubert Davis when, left the left left the uh, ASPN to go back is because he wanted that opportunity to be considered. And and remember when Dean retired, what a huge shit show that was <laughs> when they they ought it seemed they seemingly offered the job to every carolina alumni they could find before they finally and roy said no um un, until they finally settled on matt doherty anyway um i thought this was a fun little exercise guys and uh i, I was surprised we had as many florida really i just don't know about florida i mean it is what it is but we'll continue the conversation it. They got, yeah, they got Kansas. So, true. Yeah, you know. yeah, it's true. Folks, uh, so we will go ahead and put our – so, guys, you guys didn't exactly rank yours in the top 10. I'm going to require you right now. Turn them into a top 10, one through 10. I did that. I did that. Okay, right. we'll, we'll put them on the yeah. boards, and I want other folks to tell us what you think. Tell us if you think we've lost our minds. Um, I didn't have Connecticut in my top 10. I'm probably, you know, you guys sort of changed my mind a little bit. I think maybe I overlooked them. Too much recency bias there that they've struggled in the past few years. Too much um, too bias might be. Yeah. Might be more. <laughs> I hate UConn. I hate UConn. <laughs> they took two titles from us. There's no. They took two two titles from two teams that were really really good. So I hate UConn. Anyway, uh, but but uh, the, my point was going to be, people out there, let us know what you think. We want to hear your opinions as well. And yes, Jason, we will continue the conversation on the forums. I think that's it for now. But coming up after the break, we have more on the NCAA. And basically, are they going to be paying players soon? Find out after this. Okay, guys, we are back, and we wanted to quickly discuss a report in the world of college sports. According to a story by the Associated Press, the NCAA will start allowing athletes to sell their name, image, and likeness beginning in the 2021-2022 academic year. The legislation has not been passed yet. It's expected to go before the NCAA Board of Governors next week. But, Jason, I will start with you, particularly the revenue sports but really, overall, what does this mean for college sports? We, we've spoken a lot about this issue, and and I think everyone out there who listens to this podcast knows that we firmly believe there should be a path for the players to make no, money off their name, image, and likeness, uh, that this is the, the best, most efficient way for payers, players to be paid, um, and they deserve there, – there's, there's clearly a market for, for, these, for these players' skills – and, and, and they should be able to make something off of that market. So I think this is a very, very good thing. The, the thing that I want to highlight from it is that what we've heard is that the NCAA is going to have a panel, a group of folks who will look at 
any deals that these kids sign. Basically, the kids have to disclose anytime they're getting money from someone. Um, and if they don't, they, they could lose their eligibility um, uh, and, and not be allowed to play, which, which would greatly inhibit their ability to make money off of their play. So the NCAA is going to have a panel that's going to look at the deals. And I think that is the entirely fair and proper way to do this. We don't want a situation where there are alumnus or business people out there who, who you know, are hiring a kid to coach uh, their son's basketball team for $500 an hour, which is not a, a proper market rate. It's not, you know, not a fair amount. Um, and and I, I, so we want this. I don't think it should be regulated, but there should just be someone looking at every deal and saying this one makes sense and this one's unfair. I think that the challenge, Jason, that you're going to have in that is deciding what are, what is fair and unfair. And and we're just going to get to a point where we can't agree on these. And so we're just going to let let more things be acceptable than are than are unacceptable. And right now, I think we've discussed that the system is far too restrictive it'll have to go to a system that is way less restricted and where we just are documenting everything that's going on that, but we, where we, we can't really legislate against uh, there being, like you said, we, we can't legislate what the fair market value of, of somebody's time coaching a team or, or doing an ad spot or something like that is going to be, we're just going to have to let the players get paid. And I think that the, the scary thing for, for the NCAA and for the, the folks who run athletic departments who are voting on this and, and discussing it is that they know that it means that their share of the pie gets smaller because the, the players can now get paid in ways that before, you know, you might have boosters that, that want to give money that would really prefer to give money to the players, but know that it's not really within the rules. So they give money to the program instead and try to dictate that, Oh, we want it to be for X, Y, Z, which we think is going to help the players or help certain things. Now they can just go right to the players and, and, that's a that's a scary thing for the NCAA to grasp. I think they are going to get dragged along solely by public opinion and and public opinion, which then feeds into individual state legislatures like we've seen in California. That is how the NCAA gets to a system that that we as fans think is fair, not because they're out ahead of it. Well, right. And and that that fan who owns a business, for example, who puts, um, you know, $500,000 a year into advertising on the coaches, uh, the coaches radio show or something like that, or, or, you know, to have advertisements in the stadium, they may go, Oh, you know what, rather than putting 500 grand into that, I'm going to put 250 into, into that kind of stuff and put 250 toward hiring a player to sponsor my business as well. And so suddenly the program isn't getting 500 grand. They're only getting 250 because one of their players is getting the other 250. Sam, I think you're a hundred percent right about that. The other little thing I wanted to mention on this that I think maybe people haven't thought of that much is this this could be the end of fans getting autographs and taking pictures with players. Um, if not the end, it, it may be more difficult because players are going to be allowed to sell their autographs. They're going to be allowed to sell photos of them. Um, and it'll be, it'll be whatever the players want it to be. Yeah, right. exactly. Which is, exactly. Which is how it is in professional sports, right? Uh, LeBron James or, or whoever can like take their shoes off and give them to a fan or take their jersey off and give them to a fan, sign a couple autographs. They'll do that for free. Uh, but then they'll also do they'll also do, you know, formal autograph sessions and stuff like that. And, and that'll be up to the people whose autographs are worth whatever it is fans think they're worth. 
Right, right. But it's way easier for LeBron James, who's making $37 million a year from his NBA contract and another $50 million from his endorsements to sign an autograph for free versus a versus a kid, uh, you know, a basketball player who's like, yeah, you know, I'm not making that much money. I don't have that much money. If you want my autograph, you want to take a picture with me, it's five bucks. I, yeah. I think I just think you'll probably see you'll see more of that. It's not going to go away completely, but autographs, pictures, things like that is not going to be quite as easy as it used to be. That's that's just my feeling on this. So I, I, I'm in wait and see mode. That's basically what I'm looking at when we're talking about this legislation, because we really I mean, we just have the report. We don't know how far it goes. Like you said, we don't know what what limitations there will be, what restrictions they will place on on players. Will, you know, will there be, will they be able to do commercials, radio ads, whatever they want? Will they, will there be a max dollar amount they can earn what the strings are? Really, there's also the fact, you know, will professionals in other sports be allowed to keep their money when they play college in another sport? We've seen uh, not just in football, but in other sports where people have to turn money back in or at least put it in a holding account for the NCAA to allow them to play a college sport. And I think all of those questions, this legislation, I feel like is not going to answer that. And so that's why I'm kind of in wait and see mode uh, with the, you know, with about just all of these players out here, there's really so many factors that are going to be weighed in. And I don't think, I just don't think the NCAA is going to cover them all, which means that they're going to have another session where they're going to have to tie up all these loose ends and they still won't do that. So really, I just want to see what this legislation says, what it's going to entail. And before I pass judgment on whether or not it's good for college sports in general. Donald, you are right about one thing. I guarantee there will be unintended consequences and unforeseen outcomes that that none of us have intended or foreseen. <laughs> Un, or, I mean, and, I don't even yeah. think it's unintended or unforeseen. Like, we foresee some of these things. I just don't think the NCAA has ever reacted to everything that they foresee. So they're going to pass something. They're going to give you a little carrot. Yeah, yeah, eat the carrot. And so everyone's going to be like, okay, I'm hungry. This carrot wasn't enough. And then they're going to have to reconvene to give more carrots. That's how this is going to work. Okay, guys, a quick note before we depart uh this past weekend or this weekend was the 2020 nfl draft it was obviously the first one of its kind uh for the nfl uh doing it virtually with uh no really nobody in vegas and all of us staying at home doing due to the coronavirus uh, but i will make a note that uh defensive tackle trevor mcswain while he was not drafted this weekend did sign an undrafted free agent deal with the chicago bears he will have a chance to win a spot on the roster whenever training camp and facilities if, open if up if and when there is training camp <laughs> if and when there is training camp i feel there will be training camp because the nfl is not trying to lose 10 billion dollars but we'll see uh duke didn't have anyone that was drafted but really uh the undrafted free agent deal will you know even with that it's probably an uphill battle and there's nothing on trevor mcswain it's really on the fact that these times you can't travel to facilities you can't work out with teams everyone has to be doing things virtually until this pandemic is over uh, and we it's safe to go back and be in group settings. So it's going to be really difficult for McSwain to really impress a coach from far away. Uh, so, but hopefully if anyone can make the team is McSwain, he had a great career here at Duke. So best of luck to him as he embarks on a quest to make it to the next level in his career. And that would be the NFL whenever it starts back up. 
you know, uh, that will go ahead. You know, um, I, there's no easy way to say this. 13, 13 out of the 14 teams in the ACC had at least one player drafted. Oh boy. We'll, I mean, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be back in the, on the good side of that ledger next year. I promise you. There next you year, go. I mean, last year we had the sixth pick in the draft. This year we don't have anyone drafted. See that, that, that was a time frame, right? We, we were just we are just going through a down year, transition year. We'll be right back in it next year. We'll be in bowl contention if and when bowl games happen. Exactly. I, I, I feel good about that. Uh, I feel good about it too. And you know what? That will end it for us here on episode 207 of the DBR podcast. Listen, we want to hear from you guys on the topics you want for us to discuss in future podcasts. Email your questions to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And if they're good, we will answer them. Uh, we will back. We'll be back with you sometime in the next week or so as we continue to bring you the content you crave, even though there's no sports on TV to consume. Until then, for Sam, a future NBA graduate in Durham, and Jason, an old graduate in Atlanta, I am Donald, a less older graduate in our nation's capital. Take care, stay safe, and Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>